Hey, it's Rebecca. Before we begin, I want to let you know that we are overwhelmed by your love and support and kind comments on social media. And I want to ask you for a quick favor. Please leave us a review. It really does help us out and it helps others discover the podcast too. And here's this week's show. Your ability to fail and be okay with it is a really important quality that you have to have in life because I think we over we overestimate how bad it is when we don't succeed. Um, and I don't do everything right, but I definitely do everything I want to do. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Joining me here today is a woman who's built a career doing exactly what she wants. She got to know Amazon and Google and all the key players inside long before the world ever knew their names. She's interviewed every major tech titan under the sun. And above all else, the reason I really admire her, when she wants something that doesn't exist, she creates it. She is the executive editor of Recode, host of the Recode Decode podcast, which you should check out. It's a great one. And co-executive producer of the Code Conference. Kara Swisher, welcome to No Limits. Hi, how you doing? I'm <laughs> good. You. You're you're in the middle of breaking news on your on your uh, phone no, right now. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on in Uber. And so it's a really complex and fast-moving story. So um, I spent a lot of time texting executives or my own reporters or lots of people there. We're going to come back to that Uber mm-hmm. conversation in a minute, but I want to talk to you a little bit about your background, because sure. as a journalist, I look at your story, first of all, huge amount of respect for you and Thank your you. reporting, but also I admire what you've done because it really appears as though you've built what you want yes. for yourself. Very selfish. <laughs> well, as as most of us, we all want to be doing the thing that makes us happy. Well, and you seem you? like you have been doing yeah, what makes you happy. You? Why don't you? How long have you been doing what Forever. makes you happy? Forever. Since the beginning? Why not? I mean, I mean, what's the point? I was just interviewing someone for a job today, and, and they were talking about various things. And they said, what do you want? I said, well, I want you to be happy at what you're doing. I don't know why you would do it if you weren't happy. I mean, what's the point? And so and I'm not talking about being, like, thrilled or, you know, sometimes you can be nervous. Sometimes you can be upset and stuff like that. But if you're not... Um, interested or passionate about what you're doing, I don't see the point of it. You might as well just bust tables, as far as I can tell, and then have a nice life outside your work life. You started out studying foreign service mm-hmm. at Georgetown. Georgetown. Mm-hmm. That that was one of the more surprising things oh, about it? your backstory yeah. for me, because first of all, you're not Georgetown's a great place, and there are a number of wonderful programs. Sure, but the foreign service school is where I was. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine Kara Swisher as a at, as a State Department official. Why not? I'm she, so diplomatic. <laughs> well, I wouldn't necessarily imagine you in that role, but I also wouldn't imagine you choosing Georgetown of all places. It was my backup school. I'll be honest with you. I wanted to go to Stanford, and I didn't get in. Um, and Brown, I think I was waitlisted at Brown. I can't even remember. It was like 400 years ago, but. Um, <laughs> At the time, Georgetown was a backup school, if you can believe it. It's now very sought after. Um, and it got became sought after while I was there. It was one of those schools that trended. That's largely. probably what did it. Yeah, no, it wasn't me. It was <laughs> basketball. I, Patrick Ewing was there when I was there. And so um, it was, you know, I was actually thrilled because I got to be in Washington, which I love. And uh, I'm very interested in politics. And so it was it was a good, it turned out to be a great place to go. Uh, I If I had to choose again, I don't. I think I would not have not chosen it, um, but it was certainly not my first choice. I wanted to go to California and Stanford, and I didn't. I just didn't get in. 
So if you had done Stanford, you mm-hmm. would have been on a different path from yeah, day one. Totally. Technology was something. Maybe, maybe that wasn't very big then, though. You know, I'm old as hell, Rebecca. Like, just let's keep that in mind. So it wasn't the, the, the Internet boom sort of happened 10 years later, essentially, um, after I just just after I left Columbia, actually. Journal, I went to the journalism school there after college. So it didn't really start until the late 80s. The, uh, the internet boom. And you were so early to that world, which is part of how yeah. you got to know all of these people sure. in that world mm-hmm. before they were the Jeff Bezos that they we were. know today. Yeah, I met him when he had five employees. I met them all when they had two or three employees, or else they were starting and pitching their companies. Um, I remember being at pitches for companies that are now enormous, like in the VC pitches, because I'd sometimes sit in on some of them. And I visited Yahoo when they had a few, Google when they had nobody, but in, when they were in uh, very early headquarters they had that was tiny. Um, you know, so I met them all at a very early stage of their careers. Which helped you get you to know yeah. them and, mm-hmm. and know them in a way that they could trust you early sure. on. Yeah, I met Mark Zuckerberg when he was tiny. That was later. <laughs> Mark was later, too. That was in the second phase of the Internet. Um, but, yeah, I met all, most of them when they were startups, really true startups. And so you have a different relationship with people before they become billionaires. Um, I did meet Bill Gates after he was a billionaire, so maybe that's why we have such a rocky relationship. <laughs> you know, um, so it's a different relationship because you knew them before they were their famous selves, and so it's a you you have a more honest. I think you do tend to have a more honest relationship. When you look at other young people who are getting started in the industry and they look at you, mm-hmm. if they want to follow in your footsteps, it's not necessarily possible to know it's these companies anymore. That's not true. There's always a company coming up. You know what I mean? There's always an entrepreneur that you never met. And one of the things that people often ask me, how do I how do I do so well? And I, I just work harder than most people. I know it sounds crazy, but I call people when I see a promising thing. I immediately call them when they're small. Um, I get to know them early, early on. A lot of companies, I remember meeting the Airbnb guys in a coffee shop. There were four or five, and there were a lot of them, like, hanging out. And they had just started their rental service on a on, for a convention or some event in San Francisco, I think they were trying out. But they were tiny. And nobody met with them but me. Like it was, I thought it was intriguing, the concept. Pinterest, same thing. A lot of companies that are around now, again, Facebook, super early. Um, you just have to have an interest in meeting people and being aware of what the trends are. I think that's what it is. And then picking up the friggin' phone and calling people. How do you gauge that, what the trends are? Because there, uh, there's a limitation on, you. yes, you work harder than mm-hmm. others, but there's still a limitation. There are 24 hours in the day, no yeah. matter who you are as a mm-hmm. human being. And if you choose to allocate one of those hours to something that turns out to be a loser. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't think you do that. I think you just have to, as a reporter, one of the key assets of a reporter is being curious and asking questions. Like, I, I, I find it fascinating that so many reporters don't ask questions. Like, I have I have a lot of young reporters. Should I call them? I'm like, why are you asking me a question? Should I call them? Like, that should never be a question. Any reporter, you should absolutely call them. You should absolutely show up at their place of work. You should absolutely invite them out. Um, so I think that one of the things that's important is, as I've talked about a lot, is building relationships. I spent a lot of time not talking to them about the story of the moment, but what's coming, trends. I mean, I have dinners with, like, next week I'm having dinner with the head of Stripe. I don't know why, just because I'm interested in what's going on at Stripe. There's no story. Um, so I spent a lot of time listening, spending a lot of time listening to people. Because you're a very curious person. Yes, I'm a curious person. But if you're not curious in your topic, you should cover something else or you should get out of the business, as far as I can tell. You left foreign service or you mm-hmm. never really went no, into foreign service. You cold called the Washington Post. I That's how you initially got into journalism. I was a student at the time. I worked with them when I was a student at Georgetown. And mm-hmm. you were angry about something they had printed. Yeah, yeah. I was mad. And I got into, I got the Metro editor and he hired me as a stringer for Georgetown University. 
which was fun. It was a great way to get in. And it was a great way to get clips that then got me into Columbia. And it was a great experience because I really, you know, it was hustling kind of stories and thinking of ideas and sort of being creative. I think one of the things that's lacking in a lot of reporters is creativity um, and entrepreneurship. And I think I was always entrepreneurial compared to other reporters. Um, It used to be called enterprising, um, but that's a really important asset. And so, you know, again, if you're shy and a reporter, it's really the wrong profession to pick, I think. Well, to the, your point about being entrepreneurial, <laughs> you so clearly saw areas that interested you that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then you Digital. decided to build them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure people said that they were that you were making mistakes. Sure. Not not that you're somebody who could ever hear that. Where where does that come from? Um, I don't know. I just paid attention. Like if you saw like the Wright brothers or a train for the first time, would you go, oh, I don't know what that is, or you'd go, Oh my goodness, everything's gonna change. Like, you know what I mean? Like if I saw a plane, I'm sure I would have been like, Oh, 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 people will be able to fly across the country. Like I would have been able to you know, it does bring some skills of like being a spy or an analyst into place. Like, what would happen if this happens? And so when I first saw, saw the Internet uh, as in the early stages when it was the browser, the Mosaic browser, and then the World Wide Web, as it was always called then, um, I could see what was going to happen. You know what I mean? You could. What actually, did you envision back then was going to happen? You could digitize any piece of information. If you could link to something and then see an encyclopedia, what do you need an encyclopedia? Immediately it was like, what do you need an encyclopedia for if it's right there? Like, it was so dead easy. And then I looked at the shelf. I'm like, we're not going to need those books. Then you're not going to need those publishers. Then you're not going to need those trees. Then you're not going to – it just iterates. And so right now I'm obsessed with, the, like, a lot of people self-driving cars. Like, th- nobody's thinking about the implications of insurance. Nobody needs gas stations if you don't have a car. Nobody needs, you know, what happens to hospitals if people don't die. Like, it just goes on, it goes on and on and on and on. What happens to retailers if you don't drive to retail because Amazon's delivering everything? So you can you can start to like you know figure it out pretty quickly. And and I was very early when I saw first digital information stuff, not just email. I was like, well, you don't need a phone then. And so when I first saw the first browser, I was like, oh, music is finished. Like music. Oh, you can digitize it. Um, entertainment. You can digitize it. You'll have them. And I, I was obsessed with phones very early on, um, but portable phones. What was your first portable phone? It was in a suitcase. The Washington Post owned it. I was the only person who used it. I used to take check it out all the time. It was in a suitcase. It really was. It was it was big. And so I was fascinated with the ability to mo- mobily move around. And then we had one of those big ones like Gordon Gecko. Um, and then we had a smaller one and I had a pretty big phone early on. And um, I remember being I wading out into Provincetown Harbor. I was there for a vacation and I called someone. I'm like, I'm calling you from the harbor. And they're like, so what? I'm like, I'm calling you from the harbor. Don't you understand? I can call from anywhere. So it was it was just you could see it. You could see the iterations. And I think back in, then I wrote a story for The Wall Street Journal saying it was called cutting the cord and it was a picture of me with wires around me with big scissors and I was and I was like I don't want a home phone nobody needs a home phone in 10 years or very soon nobody needs anything you're untethered what does that mean and I did a whole essay on the fact that someday we were all going to be untethered and and here we are with our phones as our best friends now I'm I'm horrible to people who use phones on the street because you see everyone staring down at their phone. I, I make Taylor's joke a lot, but it's I now in San Francisco, it's just an epidemic. People just staring at their phones walking, which drives me crazy. I, I actually don't do that. And what uh, do you say to people on the street? I who go are up doing to that? them super close and go, hey, like that and look up or something <laughs> like that. And they, whoa. And of course, they don't 
<laughs> they don't get mad at you because they know they're wrong. Right. Like, you know what I mean? They're, they're like, oh, yeah, an yeah. immediate sorry. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You're going to get killed. Look up. We actually do stories about the dangers <laughs> of yes. being on your phone. Yeah, try street. it. It's really satisfying to say hey to people because they're just like, like ah, because <laughs> I don't know what they're Snapchatting or whatever the hell they're doing. I do it to my kids all the time. They're here. They're like, hey. Hey, hey guys. hey guys! Oh, they're 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 on their Snapchat <laughs> yeah, right now. Of course they, they are. just looked up. They That's are, good. There's nothing more fascinating than changing people's faces into into puppies. I'm not gonna lie. I do I do <laughs> enjoy Snapchat. A and I think you like of, a filter. I like a filter, and I as somebody who is a, you know we this job makes us somewhat public. Everyone's mm-hmm. public now mm-hmm. because of social media. Too many but it's the one public. place. I agree with that. But it's the one place Snapchat where I feel like I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not gonna. Yeah, there are some things I'm just never going to do. I'm not that kind of person, but I feel like I can be myself on Snapchat more so than anywhere else. That's how you want to express yourself with an Abe Lincoln beard filter. (laughs) Go right ahead. I've never tried that filter, but I do love the throwing up of um, rainbows. I I love that one. See, they got you you hooked on this crap. So you think it's it's there. And I got the spectacles as a gift and I was Uh really excited about that. Um, But this is not an endorsement for Snapchat at all. But I do wonder a lot or just once. Well, so uh, just once. I have not used See? them. Voila. I use them initially and it's I for me it it reminds me of almost everything else that requires plugging in mm-hmm. to charge it. Yep. As soon as I have to charge something, yeah, it's done. It's still conceptually Other than my in the phone. right direction. It's yeah. just not quite there yet. I think it's I think the issue things I've been thinking about a lot lately is you can spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes on Twitter or Facebook and you are you better off? Do you feel better? Or do you feel sick? It's you know, it's gotten to this addictive nature that's a little bit strange for a lot of people. I well, think more so than ever. I absolutely agree mm-hmm. with that. And I think I've been asking myself a lot of philosophical questions lately about, you know, net negative, net positive social media. It mm-hmm. seems like Mark Zuckerberg has been asking himself sure. those very same the man questions. Who created it. And I the can't man who believe we have a toxic waste dump of social media. Who did that? I'm like, oh, you did. You, you made it. Like, you're the one who created the whole thing. Do you think... We can dig ourselves out of this. Um, you know, it was interesting. I've been, I just saw uh, Dear Evan Hansen yes this weekend at um, in New York. It was a wonderful play, and it's a lot about the uses of the internet and virality and uh, drowning ourselves and what what's false and what's real on the internet and how we interact and how we don't have a sense of community except online. And is that real community? And so I, you know, it was interesting because Mark's uh, he was saying we're looking for a nuanced version of social media. When the fact of the matter is, the solution to our problems isn't more Facebook. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't suspect it is. I do think it's an interesting concept to try, since people are already using it, to try to um, get them to see more viewpoints. I like that idea, or that you don't just necessarily see your filter bubble. But people bubble. don't necessarily do that. I think that well, people to make them. fewer viewpoints. No, he's going to make them. That's the, if you read that carefully, he's going to introduce you to more viewpoints so that you see them, which, we, of course, they should have been doing in the first place, but the whole thing was built around friends and family, and therefore your filter friends bubbles. and family are like yourself, and you don't want to hang out with alt-right people. It's just not something I like to be doing. And so, but maybe you should be seeing what they're saying, you know, and I think that's his concept right now is that we, that on offline communities, which have been so important to our civic society have died so quickly, or we, we have so much li- less interaction with church or other thing, or church or community groups or whatever, that maybe online can spur us to have more offline internet. That's the concept. Anyway. Right. The IRL, you know, in right. real life, everything. I'm not so sure about that. Unless we like become like big blobs and then we just do everything through our brain like our, I don't I, I don't know it's it'll be interesting if we get holograms and those kind of things what how that would change it but I think the real the real solution is community-based 
you know, more community-based activity in real life. I'm really heartened by all these people that protest congressmen and stuff like that or just outside. There was a pro- I'm thrilled with all these protests because it's a real thing. It's not, Human beings it's coming not a together. hashtagism. It's I'm outside and, and every week there's a protest and it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat. It's, uh, it's real life, which I think is great. Have you ever been afraid? Mm, of what? Anything. Things that are scary, certainly. What scares you? Ghosts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. You can't remember ever being afraid. Um, what am I afraid? Sometimes I, I don't watch scary movies. I don't put myself in harm's way in those. Um, uh, when I was sick, when I was sick, when I had a stroke a couple of years ago, um, I wasn't afraid as much for myself as for my kids. My dad died when I was uh, uh, a kid, when I was five years old, and and I. I don't remember it as much as I should because when you're five, you don't. You, do you have small kids? Not yet. Okay. Well, you should. Hopefully someday. Good. Um, you you forget how much how close kids are to you even at a young age, and so I think when I had my stroke, I was super scared for dying because of my kids, not because of me or death or anything like that, but it was more. Oh, God, like I wouldn't want them to go through what I went through. And I didn't realize what I went through until I'd had that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize the the depth of, mm-hmm. of problem. And so I think uh, then for just for a minute, I was I was sort of, um, you know, you have responsibilities. I'm scared. Um, no, I'm not scared of much. What am I scared of? I can't think of that many. Things. I'm sure there's scary people out there. Um, but uh, probably the things that you should be scared of. But when you made the decision. Not the dark. I always. <laughs> Someone gave me a sticker recently. It said, um, the dark is afraid of me. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. <laughs> when, when you made I'm the decision. I'm not scared of the dark. I'm not. It's afraid of you. Mm-hmm. When you made the decision to leave the Wall Street Journal, what told you that the timing was right to do that and you needed to break away? You could do your own thing. I, I do that all the time. It's not a new thing in my career. I left the Wall- Washington Post at a time when I was rising there and I could have gone on to cover political stuff. And I just wanted to, I saw the new way of digital and I thought it was important to leave. Um, and I went to the journal. So I'm not someone who stays places if I feel like there's a movement happening or that there's I was I'm not happy or I'm not fulfilled there. So uh, it was the same thing. It was enough. You know, I'm a super difficult employee. Um, I don't work well with bosses. You um, were pushing for resources they weren't resources, giving. Resources. And why did I even have to ask them? I thought they were stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what goes through my head. But like, I think that's They something... may not be stupid, but I don't want to ask them. I don't. Why should sure. I ask them? But people feel that way all the time. Yeah. And you, sometimes it might not be so the I right decision you, to move on. Why not? Is it always the right decision? Look, I'm a white lady in America. How bad could it get for me, right? <laughs> like, that, you have to be thinking, like, there's people suffering all over this globe that face massive challenges that I just don't face. And I'm super educated. I have a great life. Why should I not take risks? And so um, what is what is the risk? Precisely what's the risk that will, you know, that I don't have money? Oh, I can wait tables. Like, you know, it's just like I don't know what could be the w- risk that I would have, and except for physical risk, which is different, or health risk, and that's a whole different can of worms that you can't – you have no control over. And so – or you have relatively – you know, you have relatively little control over certain illnesses. And so, you know, if you're not able to change in life when you're not happy, you just like it makes yourself sick, right? If you're not, if you're in a job and you, you sort of sit there and say, I have to be here, you really, many, most people, many people have to be there. There's people that actually, single mothers, poor single mothers who are uneducated, they don't have a lot of choices. I have a lot of choices. And so I'm not going to sit around and bellyache about my situation when I've got all kind of, I have a menu of choices to do things. And so I, you have to really know yourself super well. And I'm a really bad employee. Like, I just don't want to listen to what people are saying. If I'm going to fail. You want to lead. I just, if it's, if it's my failure, it's my failure. If I think of an idea and it fails, like we started doing podcasts, I didn't have to ask anybody. I just did them. 
I, I knew what I liked. I didn't like it. It's been really successful because we're good. Like we're, we try really hard to be good. And so I think that what's hard is to, is to trust yourself to take a risk. You, your ability to fail and be okay with it is a really important quality that you have to have in life because I think we, over, we overestimate how bad it is when we don't succeed. Um, and I don't do everything right, but I definitely do everything I want to do. And that's, that's, that's different. And so if you have that mentality, you tend to be successful because you know yourself really well and you know what you're good at. And you try to put yourself outside your comfort zone, which I think most people don't like to do. And then, then they just complain in silence or they drink. I just whatever. I, I don't drink. So I can't. <laughs> ah, I hate my boss. Like, ugh. Like, I, I don't even listen to people. I'm like, then leave your job. I can't. Well, why? Like, you know what I mean? When you actually start to take a part. I've gotten lots of people to leave their jobs or change their lives, which is good. I was You helped I, me. I know. Apparently, I did. I didn't I, Do you even remember that? No. Okay. What did I say? It was 12 years ago. Oh, for ago. goodness sake. <laughs> did I say no, that? No, it was 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. We had dim sum mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Okay. And you, Delicious Yangtzee. It, it was great. Okay. And you just encouraged me. I was a kid at the time thinking about either CNBC or technology. Yeah. And uh, you encouraged me if I re- you heard what I was saying and mm-hmm. you said it sounds like you really want to pursue journalism. I think yeah. you should go for it. Yeah. So what was so hard? Someone just listened to you. Just you yeah, I just it was great that I had you mm-hmm. sitting across yeah. the table. I had other people telling me the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you did I call something. you an idiot? Sometimes I would do that. I think I was too young for that. If you oh, had I called have, me an idiot at that yeah. moment, I, I might have been a, I a little said, too fragile. I may for have that. done a silent. Don't be an idiot. And it had that tone and you didn't realize it. But it <laughs> you was didn't know me well enough to say that. I know, but I probably time. was thinking, oh, she's being an idiot. She should just obviously do TV. Um, you know, <laughs> it's interesting because I ran into a woman uh, who I gave some advice to. She was at my house, and she she's super talented, like way talented. She was doing all the heavy lifting, as women tend to do at work, and not taking any of the credit. And um, and she just a smart young woman. And she they were going to give her a title, and she's like, well, I don't know if I want – like this whole thing. I don't know if oh I want this. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, take the freaking title. Yeah. Take the title. And she's like, why? I said, because it's important to them. And I said, when you have it – it matters. Why does it matter? I'm like, I don't care. Stop yeah. arguing with me. Just take it. And it was so like, well, I don't know if I have a hundred percent there. I said, men take it at two percent. Like, take the title. And then I and then so I ran into her, and she's like, I took the title, and I'm and now she has a big job, and she goes, I want to thank you for making me take the title. And I said, Did you take the money? And she's like, Oh. And I go, No, oh, take the money. Come on. <laughs> like, I always take the money. And so I now I called her like six times. I'm like, Take the money, take the money. And so. Um, that's the other part is when you women have to really, you know, if they really want to rise and, and not complain about being where they are, they've got to take the reins of power and be comfortable in taking them and feel good about it, feel like they deserve it and feel, you know, I, I don't know what happens with a lot of women in, in culture where they don't like want to take what they uh, what they are owed. Most of them are owed it 59 times over. Someone wrote me. It's actually funny. I'll, I'll read it. Um, it was on Twitter. Uh, he had heard a podcast that I did with um, Tim Ferriss. And it was a lot about my personal life, which turned out to be super interesting. He goes, uh, your podcast with Ferris was great. I'm so jealous of how articulate you are. I also like how you don't apologize for being good. And I go, why would I? <laughs> and then he did a smiley face. <laughs> like, why would I apologize for being good? I am good. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so good. Like, it'd be funny. What's the toughest lesson you've had to learn in your career? Mm-hmm. Toughest lesson. Not listening to myself, not listening to my and, and good mentors. I, I have had good mentors. When's the time that you didn't listen to yourself you wish you had? Hmm. When I don't ask the questions I want to ask, like I was interviewing. Um, I usually do. I usually I, I can't say I don't. I always ask questions I want to want. Recently, I was just thinking of one that I keep obsessing on where I was interviewing Cyril Sandberg about Peter Thiel. And he I was asking why he 
was he staying on the board after he secretly sued Gawker? And I felt a secret lawsuit by a board member from Facebook, which is supposed to be helping publishers, was kind of sneaky. But he, you know, they didn't. He didn't pay any price for doing that. Um, and they kept saying, "Well, it's his business." I'm like, "But you're in the publishing business," and he put people out of, you know what I mean? Like I was like, "There's some, there's some question, and maybe you should chastise him at least." And so we were discussing that, and she said, "You know, it's Peter's call about what he wants to do outside of Facebook, but he's staying on the board," which was a piece of news that he was staying on the board. And what I should have followed up, I should have turned to and said, "Would you have done this?" Like that was the question. Like. Would you have secretly sued a publisher just because you were mad about some story? She'd have to have said no, right? Or if she said yes, it would have been an even better answer. Well, why? And so I didn't, I don't know why I didn't ask that question. I was, I must have just been like mentally ill at that moment. But I just, when I don't ask the questions I want, I'm really regretful of that. And then when I don't say what I think, I'm always regretful when I don't, but I always do. So it's kind of like, at this point, I'm so old. I don't really care. I'm like that crazy old lady. On You're the, I yell at people Kara. on the street. You've got a long road ahead. <laughs> well, maybe you'll, you know, I'm just going to disappear, Rebecca. You're never going to see me again. Really? Oh yeah. That would be weird. No. I'm, you're, Why would you do that? Because I'll be done. I'll be like, I'm done. Are you done? <laughs> No, not yet. But it was funny. I was looking at a series of um, interviews I've done over the years. I was looking at all the range. We've done so many amazing interviews at All Things D, you know, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all these like all the leaders since the beginning. Like everyone. And I was looking at the body of work and I thought, I kind of have a good body of work. I could leave right now. What would you do? I none of your business. I just be gone. Like everyone's like, you couldn't leave us. I'm like, oh, I could leave you all. Like, and I will be gone. I'll be sitting in Hawaii playing the playing the uh, ukulele. I'll be just as happy. Do you know how to play the? Ukulele? No, I'm going to though. That's the thing I want to learn how to play. But it was interesting. Someone was like, you can't leave. I'm like, no, no, I can leave. That's your problem. Is I can leave any time now. So I feel like now I don't really. It's kind of a good point in my career. I can do anything because. I don't have to prove anything, and now everything is just interesting, and and I think it's a really nice place to be. But it was funny because like three, I was at a table of Silicon Valley people. They're like, "You'd miss us." I'm like, "I wouldn't miss you for a second. Like, I would, and they're like, "You'd miss us," and I'm like, "Okay, all right, sure." Like, <laughs> I said, "I have my children and my dogs and my friends. I'm just fine without you." Can you imagine? Just goodbye. I, there are people who are doing that now. And, no, but they declare it. Right. They're like, now I am going off Twitter. Try and find me. Fine. You know, but they do that and then they come back on. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to say it. It's just going to one day like that. I was going to work at a, I was kidding with someone. I was going to, do you ever see Hot Dog on a Stick in Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. I love that place. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I like it so much. I don't really like the hot dogs (laughs) on sticks right now, but they, um, but they were, uh, it was just funny. So I was, I was sitting there and I'm like, I'd like to wear a hat and serve hot dogs on sticks all day. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'm sure it would be interesting for 14 minutes. Um, but it was so funny that I was like, I could be this lady and nobody would know who I was. Like, you know what I mean? It was just I had this fascinating moment. <laughs> like I'd have one of those hats and the little outfits and I'd just be dipping the hot dogs. And like, and I'd see people who knew me, but they wouldn't remember me. And it was just, it was fast. It was kind of interesting. I was just having a moment. Before you go, I yeah. ask everybody this question. Now I've given up where I'm going to be. I'll be at the hot dog on a stick I'll serving see you there. lovely lemonade. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's delicious. Um, Sugar and grease. That's my goal. That's my future. I'm sure that you have received a ton of bad advice. And you're mm-hmm. somebody who's more than happy to talk about the bad sure. advice. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Be quiet. Who was the first person to tell you that? Probably my mom. <laughs> Probably my mom. Don't be so, don't be so outspoken. I, I, not my mom, but people. School. Um, I had a, I had an English teacher who told me I couldn't write. I loved writing. I shouldn't write. It was like, around grammar was my issue. Like it was kind of silly. 
Uh, people saying you can't do things. Any t- anyone telling you you can't do things, I just dislike in- instantly. Um, and it doesn't mean you ha- you can do everything, but you shouldn't have that mentality as a person. Um, again, I don't think you should be. I don't think you should keep going when you're when you're not good at something. Like I don't play basketball. How like, do you determine? the moment that you're not good because not you're not going to be good at everything when you right. start out well i can't play the piano i wish i could but i can't i've tried um uh i can't play basketball when is quitting time though how do you know you're just bad i'm just bad at basketball <laughs> what do you want like i've tried like it's, i haven't tried that hard but i'm not very good at languages i would love to be good at languages i'm just not i know everyone says they can teach anyone but oh, i'm not so sure um, I just there's something wrong with my brain that I don't see, and I know that I'm going to get a million people saying, "Kara, I tried the system," but um, <laughs> there's lots of things I'd like to be good at that I'm not good at. So, where did you find it inside of yourself initially when you were being told you can't do this? I was just like this. I don't know. You were born this way. Yeah, I was always so straight. My um, nickname from my I have Italian relatives was Tempesta. Like that was difficult, and being a difficult woman is not the easiest thing in the world. You know what I mean? Like, I think more women are not don't embrace that. I have great admiration for people who keep going, even though there's there's social pushback, there's work pushback. I had lots of people at all these newspapers um, tell me things like, "Oh, if you were a little quieter," I'm like, "Why'd you hire me? Like, you hired me because I ask questions and I push people." And so, um, and it's a it's a gender. It's definitely a gender thing, even though. We pretend it's not. It's most definitely. And so I think I push harder and I, I hate when people tell me to shut up. Like, I don't talk that much. I'm talking right, a lot now right now. But, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, what you've been you've been in those situations, right? Sure. Every course. woman has. You're bossy. You're don't be a bitch. Like that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been there. Absolutely. Right? So I, I was at something just recently, actually, it was fascinating that someone would even try this on me. But um, they said, um, you're, I was arguing with someone at Facebook about this fake news thing, which I'm really incensed about, that they haven't done enough about it. And I was making an argument about civic society and how it ruins civic society. And they're responsible. They have to at least acknowledge that they have some role to play here. And which Mark Even if they did. don't have a solution. I don't care. They need to acknowledge. Right. I'm saying. I, know, I want them to also. I want them to you have to come up with a solution. Right. But even if you're a public company and you don't have a solution and it's something that's very negative. I was that they said they, they were acting like we're a platform we don't know. It drove me nuts. I was like, and I was, I cared because I care about civic society. I care about what's happening right now online. I care about the screamers on cable news. You know what I mean? Like it just ruins our society. It pulls us apart. And and I'm I argue too. I, I like debate and everything, but so I was arguing with him about it, just in a normal, passionate way. And he, he said, Well, you don't have to be so vitriolic. You know, he was pulling out the big words, which of course I know all of them. Um and I said, Excuse me? And I go he goes, Well, you don't have to be so emotional, like, mm. which is what you tell a woman. And immediately it shuts down a woman. You know that. Like, sure. oh, I'm not being emotional. And I said, I am being emotional because it matters. Like, you know what I mean? You're not, I said, I'm not the lady who gets scared of that. And I'm not the lady who gets backed down because they're told they're hysterical or, you know what I mean? That There's all these words, these code words, hysterical, emotional, vitriolic. Oh, no, no, I can't be vitriolic. And I like embrace vitriolic. And so it was really, int- I don't even think he knew he was doing it, but he was. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's those shut up words yeah. to women. And, uh, and it's shut up words to everyone who's different, who's not hyper aggressive. Uh, you know what I mean? And so- it sort of pissed me off and I got angrier. I wasn't angry even. I wasn't emotional. You know, they they were the ones who weren't emotional enough about something that mattered. 
Um, and so it was an interesting moment. I was sort of like, really? You're going to try to back me into a wall? Like, good luck with that. That hasn't worked ever in your life. And so <laughs> it was funny. It was, but it was fascinating. And it really, I don't think you realize, it was a really interesting word. It was it was fascinating. No one is backing Carrie. <laughs> no one's, no one puts baby in the corner. No way. <laughs> but Kara. see, a man had to save her. Like, she was in the corner. Kara Swisher saves herself. No, I'm just saying she was in the corner, and yeah. then he brought her out of the corner. But baby was just fine getting out of that corner. I just That's the only part I don't like about that movie is that line. No one puts baby in the corner. Although there was a, a good song. I don't. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> Think about I it. Think, I will think about it so much. No, now, now you, you are. You're like, oh, you're right. Yeah. She was like, she was smart. <laughs> she was like sexy. She was like with it. She did the right thing all the time. And then the man had to pull her out of the corner. <laughs> it was a nice dance, though. So I enjoyed the dance, and it was great when she jumped. And then they all dirty danced. It was a nice end. I got pulled into it too. But then when he started to think about it, I was like, just a second. Why didn't she pull him out of the corner? Well, I, I love Patrick Swayze, so I shouldn't insult him in any way because he's the best. God rest his soul. I very much enjoyed this dance Roadhouse. with you, Carrie. Roadhouse. Go see Roadhouse. Oh, my God. You're hilarious. Carrie Swisher, on, thank Roadhouse. you. Thank you for coming no on No Limits. Really thank great chatting so with you. Thank you so much. I'm glad I changed your life. Good. You're very you good at what you did change my life. Well, good. Now you go change someone else's life. Right? I will try and pay Deal. it forward. Pay it forward. You can check out part two of my conversation with Kara Swisher, where we talk about the Snapchat IPO, Uber's troubles, a lot of interesting acquisition targets in the tech space, and who she believes is the most overrated company right now in Silicon Valley. And join me next Tuesday for an all new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.